Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealer move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, if you're looking for a great place to find great products for your salespeople, check out Arrow at heyarrow.com. This uh, is a Friday edition um, of the Moving Iron Podcast Market with Sean Hackett. Sean was nice enough to come on today um, and talk about what's going on. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Casey. And, uh, you know, you do a better job at those announcements than I could ever, ever do. So don't ever shortchange yourself. <laughs> Take 43. Go. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that quiet. <laughs> right on. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And, Sean, there is uh, the energy side of this business has, has just been kind of stealing the headlines from a lot of different stuff here of late, whether it's natural gas we got a coal shortage over in China that's starting to impact a lot more people than just uh, what's going on in China. We're talking, you know, they're having some pretty pretty big delays getting through corn harvest in China right now, which is driving up the price of their corn up into the $10 and $11 range. So there's just been a, a ton of stuff with energy. And, and we've talked, we've spent some time talking about energy here for the past, you know, well, 45 days for sure, um, kind of what we see happening. So I guess let's spend a little time talking about that right now. I mean, if we look at the the Russia Ukraine thing, that's that's starting to getting a little bit hotter um, each time. More and more stuff is showing up at the at the Ukrainian border uh, by the Russians. Then it looks like they're I mean they're they're doing everything but saying we're coming in um, with the number of pipelines that come out of Russia that go through Ukraine that feed Europe natural gas and oil and other things coming from Russia. Um, this this is really kind of setting itself up to be where energy is going to have a big a big effect on the overall food supply chain logistics and everything else that come with that. So I'm going to spend a little time talking about that. Well, I think everyone is every country, especially those that are a little more authoritative in nature, um, are viewing it number one as a key security issue to keep more supplies at home. So the Russia holding back, they said through June they're going to curtail wheat exports because they want to keep more on hand just to see how this winter plays out. Um, you know, you're talking about Belarus saying they might shut the pipeline down 
coming from Russia because of all the unrest that's going on in the security of the energy supply. It just seems to me that um, these leaders are seeing these energy and food supplies as a critical resource and as a political opportunity to exert influence. Um, and I know I obviously, you know, deep down we, we wish that were not to happen, but it does. And so when you have a situation where you have $30 LNG and you have Europe, you know, pretty dependent upon those pipelines coming in, um, you know, look, they have Europe. <laughs> you know, Europe's not in a good situation right now. Um, and so it, it just means that everyone is holding on tighter to what they have. And as you mentioned in the beginning about what's going on with this very cold, snowy start to China's central northern plains. Um, it also is going to cause a lot of logistical issues. We've talked about this on your show before. You know, how do you get the, the, the crop from A to B? Um, how do you get it out of the, how do you finish the harvest? How do you keep it from spoiling? I mean, all these factors that come into play when you have a, a, some extreme weather conditions and the corn price in China has been going straight up now for the last 30 days on this, you know, cold problem, not being able to ship the corn to the South and all these things. This is something that's just, it's just getting started, Casey. You know, I think this is going to be a, a larger issue. And that's why we've been very, very strong on your show and with our recommendations to our customers that you want to have more physical product on your farm, on your ground, in your hands than normal in case there's a period where you're, where you're not, where you're just not able to get what you want. Yeah. And it's, it's starting to shape up that way. I mean, this inflation issue that we're seeing right now where it just, the price of stuff are starting to surge more, more, com more countries are starting to, like you just said, kind of really ratchet back what they're exporting in and out of the country. Um, it feels like the United States is, is doing a lot of stuff that, you know, we're talking about shutting down more pipelines and all this other and stuff. You know, China, <clears throat> China's uh, you know, halting exports of fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Russia, halting exports of fertilizer. You know, I mean, we go down the list. Everyone is saying, um, we're just going to pull back right. and see how this plays out this yep. winter. And, and so it's a problem. Those that do not have these critical physical supplies you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a very difficult uh, period for them. Yep. And there's going to be a lot of unrest. There's going to be a lot of uh, geopolitical uh, issues going on. And it's, um, it's just really messy. Uh, you know, it's not something I look forward to, Casey, but it is a factor in how yep. our markets are going to get priced. Yep. So. All right, so spend a little time talking about wheat. Wheat's been on a tear this week. I mean, it's just been on a flat-up run-up every day. It's just been double-digit gains, you know, across there. And as you look at... What's going on? Like I talked about earlier, the tensions between Ukraine and Russia, and that tends that seems to be mounting. And it's one of those deals where uh, I like to wait for the first person to blink, type of thing. Um, you know, both those countries are are very uh, large um, wheat producing countries. They got lots of lots of wheat out there. Um, do you feel like that's where some of this this wheat? gain that we're seeing is coming from that is that coming from that area uh, uh that that pressure point there or is that just because of just the, the supplies of wheat where we're at right now well i think we have to remember that um 10 years ago russia produced about 
25 million metric tons of wheat. At the peak a few years ago, they produced over 90 million metric tons of wheat. They went from being a player to the player. Right. And, um, and they've had several years of crop shortfalls. They've not been able to produce a crop like they had been used to. And then, of course, the spring wheat crop in Russia, in the United States, in Canada, one of the worst ever. So we have a massive shortage of high-quality spring wheat. Then everyone thought we had this massive uh, winter wheat crop, KC winter wheat crop. So the USDA say, yeah, it's huge. Well, it's good. Well, it's okay to, it's not so good. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and we warned that, that, you know, all that talk in the beginning about this, all these, we, we, we just were very suspicious because of the weather that took place. We just didn't see. So the bottom line is uh, we don't even have the kind of high quality wheat on the KC Wintery site to fill in some of that gap. And then you have Russia saying, they just made an announcement, was it three or four days ago, I forget when it was, that they are going to uh, curtail their exports significantly until June. Um, and that's it. You know, so, so when you already had a shortage and then the number one exporter of wheat in the world tells you they're not going to export what they thought they're going to hold supplies back, then there you have it. And then you have a market right. that is, is, is in a world of hurt. I don't really, I'm not really sure of the unrest. It doesn't, it can't help. Uh, it, it, it only increases anxiety further, but I really think it was the clear indication that the Russia is going to pull back on their exports. There's really nowhere else to get that kind of supply um, shortfall of their exports uh, easily. Now, of course, even if you could, you can't even get it. Right oh, yeah. That's true. You yeah. know, what is it going to be, 30, 60 days, 90 yeah. days? There's 100 ships waiting to get loaded. I mean, so even if you say, okay, well, we're going to book from, from the U.S., we got an order, you're not going to be getting it anytime soon. And yeah. if you're short, you know, then you really have a situation. So that's, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. But we've clearly been the leader here. And, you know, we, we've had a long-term target on winter wheat, Casey winter wheat of $10 plus, And we think, you know, we're you know, set up for that uh, potential or even more on a blow-off top this spring when we get into this, what we think is going to be a failed post-dormancy season with the kind of late-ending winter um, and the kind of flooding that we're anticipating seeing from a record snowpack melt. So wheat's just going to continue to be a problem for the world, and it's it's a absolute must-have in, in the geopolitical scene. You, have, you cannot run out of wheat or else you have a lot of problems on your hands. So, Yep. And I think this morning when I looked, uh, the local elevator was seven fifty three cash, I think, and there's like a forty cents basis or something like that. So across the scale, you're looking at seven dollar and ten cent wheat. It's pretty good, pretty good price. It's a really good price. It's yep. a really good price. All right, let's jump down here and let's talk about what's going on in some of the soft markets. You know, so you take a look at. At, at cotton, cotton's still doing its thing. Um, you know, I guess as this harvest continues to go, um, and just we're, as we're just kind of starting to get cotton harvest kind of fired up a little bit. Um, what's your what's your thoughts about that that marketplace? I mean, you still think the Chinese are still going to keep coming in and buying that? I mean, obviously they have a, a bigger shortage than they want to admit to when it comes to quality because they just keep showing up to buy cotton. 
Yeah, I mean, they kind of did. They're doing a cotton what they did in grains last year. They're just buying it all. Right. Just buying it all. So your typical seasonal pressure hasn't been felt yet. Um, even though the harvest was delayed, you know, the harvest is going now, and they're just buying it all. They, that's, they'll say we'll take we'll take it all in. The issue is when do they stop? buying it all. I mean, eventually they stopped buying corn like they were. They stopped buying soybeans like they were and prices did correct quite a bit. At some point, they're going to stop buying the cotton at some point. Um, and at some point, you're going to start looking at acreage and go, my goodness. Wow, you know, we're going to see massive acres in the U.S. We're going to see massive acres in India. You know, I I, I feel we're getting pretty close to, uh, to maximum um, optimism on the bullish case. And I actually think the demand side, forget China's demand. You know, that's kind of, I want to call it artificial, but they're buying, I think the end user demand is overestimated. Meaning I think when I look at inflation running out of control, when I see a lot of the economic problems from this inflationary situation coming into play, I worry that the demand for clothing, the demand for cotton-based clothing is overestimated. We might find out three or six months from now, that the demand is being, has to be lowered and that our ending stocks globally and in the U.S. maybe are not as tight as we think they are. So I think what could actually put the top in the market isn't supply. I think the Chinese have already said we're going to buy it all, but it could be a, a, a drop down in end-user demand um, that surprises the market. That would be my anticipation. But I really think the upside, I think it's fairly limited unless, you know, there's there's some kind of a, a disruption of some sort. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. All right. Um, one thing you talked about quite a bit on here, and I've been, I think probably because you talked about it, I see it more in the news now, but there is starting to be some, some a lot of chatter about the coffee marketplace and what they see happening there. So spend a little time talking about the coffee market and, and what you see there, you know, at post your, your uh, um, Brazilian tour there. Well, we had the drought last year, and prices initially took off. Um, and then everyone thought, well, well, we're going to have a huge crop this year. Everything's going to be fine. And then we had the triple frost that we predicted in February that we would likely have. And we, and that, well, we had three frosts. We were looking for one. We had three. The first one in 26 years. And that changed the game in a major way uh, because it took the potential for a record crop off the table. Um, but the market being what it is said, okay, let's just, let's just see, let's just see what happens. So we got big, big rains here in October and everyone said, Oh, all has been saved. The crop's going to be fine. All's going to be good. And I, and then we, I went down, uh, with a couple of my customer and my colleague to take a look. Are they correct in field after field, acre after acre, tree after tree, what we found was a prolific flowering, but not a prolific uh, uh, fruit set, uh, you know, caught cherry set on the branches, saying that the frost damage, the invisible damage to the vascular system of the tree that the market wasn't able to see flying drones over the top did, did a lot more damage than they said. And that's why the trees that flowered, but they're not putting the fruit on the, the branches. And it was is clearly not going to deliver what you would normally expect that kind of a flowering to do. It's not happening. And once the flowering doesn't set and you don't put the cherries on the, on the branches, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't produce another flower in the same place twice. It's lost. 
And so you're going to have the best weather on the planet for the, all the way, the rest of the way, but you, you're not going to change this output much. You might increase the bean size a little bit on the margin, but it's not going to be a dramatic change in the production. It could change production for next crop. Because it's going to add vegetative growth, it's going to add foliage, it's going to you know, rehabilitate the tree. But for this crop that's going to be harvested next summer, our my view, our assessment is there's no way to rehabilitate it. And the market's beginning now to come to that realization that we have two bad years in a row. And the, and the coffee market's starting to break out to the upside now in the second wave. I call it the second reaction to the frost. The first one was, oh my gosh, we had a frost. Now it's oh my gosh, the frost actually did the damage we thought it did. And then it looks like to me we're in this next rally phase to wherever we're going to go. Um, it's a long, long, long way to the summer of 2023, uh, assuming that's a big crop. So the market has to figure out what does it have to do to get through all this. And, and it's, it's going to be very difficult, especially with all the logistical problems and the shipping problems and everything that's going on. Um, it's, it's, and so certified stocks, we talked about this before, I think, on your show, that are deliverable against the New York Board of Trade futures contracts are falling day after day after day because that's something that the roasters can get their hands on immediately. They go to the warehouse, they say, I want this lot. They take it. They got it. Uh, the problem is there's only a million eight <laughs> available there, which in the world of, of 175 million demand bases, not a lot. But we feel they're going to continue to draw those down. And once those draw down below, we think once they draw them down below a, a million and a half bags, we think the, the coffee market's going to get really, really nervous about a pinch of non-deliverable supplies against the, the futures market. And that's that was one of the triggers, by the way, that made the 2010-11 rally, when we've rallied over $3 a pound, was those certified stocks getting too low. We think it's just a matter, we think in a couple of months we're going to be there. It's just a, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, you put out a report earlier this week on some natural climate change stuff that you've talked about a lot. And you've talked about here, I think, two, three weeks ago, you talked about, you know, this back half of November being some pretty cold weather coming through because um, possible polar vortexes and, and uh, you know, the warming of the atmosphere and those kind of things uh, above the... Uh, above the uh, Arctic circles and those kind of, and those places. So I guess as you talk a little bit about that report there and, and kind of what you see happening here as we head into this last half of November into, into December. Remember, though, uh, the, the, we, I think we talked about before, we, we had a sudden stratospheric warming event that took place in late uh, October into November, something we had predicted many months ago was likely to happen. And that means that the, that the stratosphere above the North Pole, the Arctic, warms suddenly. And it stirs up the atmosphere. Just, just think of it as like a soup and you're stirring it up, okay? So now the atmosphere is all messed up. Um, and typically, when, when you, once you do that, within 30 to 40 days from the time that stratospheric warming event reaches its peak, um, the atmosphere will realign into a more amplified jet stream. We call it meridional, north to south, undulating that causes greater weather volatility and greater winter extremes in terms of cold and snow. Um, we highlighted it in our podcast, Casey, about what's called the North Atlantic oscillation. Um, and, and to really, so, so there's one thing you can have this wavy jet stream, but it doesn't tell you what, you know, 
this part of the jet stream, Casey, that, that comes down, that's where the cold air is. Well, is it going to be over the U.S.? It's going to be over Europe? Is it going to be over China? It, it won't. T- that the idea that it's going to get wobbly doesn't tell you where. But what can tell you where is the North Atlantic Oscillation going negative, and what that means is that you get a high pressure system over Greenland, and so you, the amplified jet stream goes over the top, and then it comes straight down into the United States and funnels the the polar vortex into the United States. We believe that a North Atlantic Oscillation negative. Uh, uh, a, a negative phase of the North Atlantic Oscillation is likely to develop as we get to the end of the month. And we went over one of the mechanisms for that is this differential between snow depths in Western Eurasia to Eastern Eurasia and how that creates this North Atlantic Oscillation to develop. And once you set, um, set this air pattern, it sticks for a while, meaning it won't go away for a while. You've set the pattern and it plays out for months. So we think that's now the next phase is we got that we got this atmosphere stirred up now. And now we believe because of the snow differential we're seeing and the way these pressures are developing, that we're about to develop this NAO negative phase. And then that just siphons this cold air in uh, and, and kind of delivers on this kind of a of a early cold polar vortex winter for the United States in particular. It's very interesting. I mean, what you did there and how you how you kind of put that all together because it was I never thought of it what you're talking about and you're talking about something with the Pacific whether it was forgive me here but it was if it was further north or further south depending and that would that depended on how far east it went or how far to the yeah, west there's, it went. There, there, there's there's a western Pacific oscillation and there's mm-hmm. an eastern Pacific oscillation. It, it's essentially developing either a high pressure system either on the western Pacific. Or the Eastern Pacific. So when you get this NAO, uh-huh. this amplified pattern, if you have the high pressure system further to the west, it pulls the cool air more to be west central. If it's more of an easterly based high pressure, which is the negative EPO, it pushes it more central east. So um, and it can oscillate, Casey. You can you can kind of go back and forth in this pattern. And we think we're going to have this kind of an oscillating. We think it could start wet, central west and go central east. But it, 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 think of it this way: high pressure squeezing the air from the from he, from the east, and the high pressure is squeezing the cold air from the west, and it really maximizes this funnel into the United States. When you have both the EPO, WPO negative, and the NAO negative. Simultaneously, it really is the the maximum collateral extreme nature of cold, snowy, wintry conditions, and we think we're going to set that up um, and, and get that pattern set up here as we get into the end of the month. Yeah, good stuff. I'm excited. Can't I can't wait for for the uh, the big winter blast to come to come here because it's because when I was watching your your podcast, it was it was very much. Uh, like you're talking about, like it was just going to be this extreme from both sides coming in, kind of hitting the middle of the country, and it's something to get ready for and pay attention to, especially some livestock producers when it comes to having feed on hand. I mean, it's just there's an opportunity there that you need to pay attention to. Yeah, the livestock producing business is is, is got to be very careful. Obviously, the energy business has got to be very very careful. Yeah. Um, you know, your feed on the farm, you got to be very careful. Make sure you don't have you have enough to get by. You know, just there's, there's a lot of so there's a lot of things uh, that that you just have to make sure you you have handled so that if there's a if there's some 
period of destabilization for a while, you can continue to, to run things. You know, power outages, which, you know, like we had last February, rolling power outages are going to certainly be an issue throughout uh, the country. And, you know, I remember, I remember the stories about dairies, you know, that weren't, didn't have power in Texas and how they were having to dump milk on the ground because they lost, they didn't have the power. I mean, you'll start, you, you know, things you take for granted, Casey, all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. <laughs> right. I, I can't open up my business right now. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely crazy out there right now. So, yeah. well, plenty of stuff to pay attention to and stuff, plenty of stuff to get ready for. Sean, if folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at Hackett Financial, what's the best way to do that? The website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of different things on there that talk about our natural climate cycles or capital flow tools and things that we do to see if what we do and how we look at the world in agriculture uh, would be of interest to your listeners. Well, good deal. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you, Casey. Always love being on here, and we'll look forward to it next week. Right on. Okay. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, as well as all the blog posts I have out there. Go to movingironllc.com for all the information, Moving Iron related. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here